the future of jobs is that they have no future. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to season two of Love Life Millennials. Have a listen and enjoy. All right, this week we are welcoming an old guest. Wait, wait. I don't think that's the best adjective. <laughs> we are welcoming a former guest of ours in season one. Uh, she is my principal back in high school. We talked over an episode back then, and we received quite positive, abundant responses. And now I want to talk to her a little bit more. I want to pick her brain just because she has so much things to say. I am pretty sure that this episode will, you know, will rock too. For those of you who has not listened to the episode yet, first of all, go ahead and listen. But yeah, Miss Ching is someone who I met over uh, like around 2016. I would say, wait, wait, it was 2010 as a principal in my high school, and after that, yeah, we kind of just keep in touch. So, Miss, why don't you say uh, one or two words to the listeners? Hello, everyone. Yes, whatever Andrea said is really true about me being old. Okay, <laughs> because why? If I can be his principal, okay, and way back then, okay, right yeah. now Andreas is already a very successful young man who is like you know very impressive in a lot of things that he's doing. So I'm really proud of him, and of course. I'm old, <laughs> but not to worry about that because yeah, I might be old at age, but I have a young heart. Okay, yeah, yeah. that I well, believe. Well, my name is <laughs> so my name is Joel, and well, a lot of my students call me by my Chinese name, which is Ching, so they call me Miss Ching. Okay, that's how yeah. Andreas addressed me as well. Okay, so hi everyone. <laughs> yeah, Miss, we initiated this episode over a movie, right? It's called Social Dilemma, and we wanted to provide our own commentary about it. Maybe can we start with that? Oh yeah, I was just talking about that with uh, you know with a couple of people because like I recommended this movie to a lot of youngsters and I asked them to watch and a lot of times after they watched they said, "Whoa, this is really mind-boggling." You no, know? and then it's like they said that it opens up a lot of their views about uh, social media and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe you can uh, just give a little bit. Of summary about it, since you watched it more recently than me, I watched it a while back. So yeah, yeah, it's it's basically how first social media is such an integral part of our life now, and it's kind of ironic because the movie was trying to depict a life of the backstage, you know, for those social media developers, how they can really just map us out based on our user data. Basically, when you have that many data points, you can actually predict what someone will do next. It's quite scary, but at the same time, it's as I said, it's ironic because we cannot escape from it. Even when we know, yes, we acknowledge that it's quite creepy, but we still use it anyway because it all comes back to how it has made such an impact to our life. But yeah, for this episode, I actually wanted to take a little bit of a side angle, which is to use this. Whole understanding of technology and social media, and I want to link it with Miss Ching's forte, you know, which is education. I wanted to understand a little bit more of your observations on, firstly, technology in current society, and then the second is how it has impacted education in general, you know. And after that, maybe we can dig down a little bit deeper. Okay, that is a very good introduction about the movie itself. It's actually not a movie per se, but it's actually yeah. a 
documentary film yeah so it's actually based on true stories about people or creators of those uh, people that work backstage in popular social medias and I think that this documentary is really thought-provoking it happened to be a while ago uh, before I was talking to Andreas I was in another meeting and we were talking about how things that we think or like our minds can be so destructive that it can actually bring down a lot of um, you know negative side effects as well for example people being depressed and so on and so forth and one person in the meeting actually shared that it is due to the social media that he engages in for example you know social media is actually made in such a way that the algorithm of it is like um, if you actually watch a certain kind of thing for quite a while then they would actually keeps popping up to you so that you can actually uh, click mm -hmm. to it right so um, what he's saying that uh, recently he has been watching about uh, you know young entrepreneurs or like you know young people who are really really successful and whatnot he's actually a young dude as well but because of that he actually felt kind of self-defeated because he thinks that you know at this age he should actually already be at a certain point of his life in terms of success wise but he thinks that he's just not doing enough yet and yet when he's watching all those things is actually uh, making him feel depressed okay so mm. it's like it keeps on popping <laughs> because of what uh, we were saying just now okay so I actually had a chance to share and I said that according to psychology we as human beings okay there are three part in us okay one is the it one is the ego and one is the super ego okay uh, but according like to what I understand it to be in the religious point of view okay basically we as human beings we well the body consists of two parts which is the body and also the spirit right but both the body and the spirit both of them are connected to the mind okay whether it's our body like I was just giving an example of how uh, my daughter used to experience panic attack four times in her life right now oh. and when she experienced that she actually felt like she couldn't move her body she couldn't talk but it's all in the mind so basically uh, the body is connected to the mind obviously and also our spirit as well so basically if we think about something depressing or something which is like uh, defeating or something like that then it will actually make us depressed or like something like that it actually bring our spirit down as well okay uh, how do you think this has changed education these days you know what, what is the current landscape of someone who has been a practitioner in the industry for I think more than a decade right <laughs> yeah more than that yeah I, I've been in education for more than 15 years right now yeah mm -hmm. so basically for me I think it's the competitive nature of life itself before I think the competition is not as real because during my time there's no social media so basically right. uh, the competition is real when it's when you can actually physically experience it or see it right mm -hmm. so say for example in an office you can actually feel the competition if there's somebody who's like better than you or like you know who wants to try and pull you down something like that so it's like 
all whatever that you experience but right now with social media it's even twice the um, you know the threat is because sometimes things that you don't experience in life but you actually are able to see like what I was saying just now about a young man feeling actually threatened or feeling depressed just because he saw some other people who is a, like his age or younger being more successful than him these people are not even people that he knows personally so right now with social media in another end of it it becomes very competitive Mm -hmm. So that actually is one of the downside, I think, towards um, younger people who are basically on social media all the time. <laughs> all right, so yeah. yeah. So you're saying that social media has a detrimental effect actually for people who is doing the study, right, uh, as a student. But what about the content of the teaching itself? Like, how does this transform over, you know, over the course of social media developing? in the past recent years? For me, I think social media uh, helps a lot in the way students learn. And also it helps a lot uh, for teachers like us who knows how to incorporate social media or like things that is being, you know, contents creators made them uh, to ease our life as a teacher as well, okay? Yeah, so in terms of the advancement in the technology and everything like that, it helps a lot, okay? But like I said again, how many people can actually do what is called passive filtering in their life, okay? okay. Well, as much as we think that as adults, Mm -hmm. We should be able to filter all the negative things and just take in positive things so that we will actually be thinking positive things all the time. That doesn't happen though. For example, I happen to be inside a lot of WhatsApp group as well, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, because of business sometimes and also because of work. But a lot of times, because there is like groups like that, you know, the circle of communication is so much closer right now. And yet people like to uh, just forward things without filtering them, right? Whether it's video or whether it's a piece of news, For me, I happen to be the type like I don't open video unless it is like recommended mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes people would actually send videos of somebody killing themselves or like, you know, of like jumping out of a building or like very depressing kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think like reading about those kind of things in newspaper itself is already bringing some kind of a negative thoughts or like, you know, depressing emotions to us. But watching it live, it's even more detrimental, I think. Yeah. So yeah, we have to actually have what is called passive filter, I think. Sure. Very interesting concept of passive filtering. Yeah. But do you think this is something that we should also exercise when we want to learn something from online? Because, okay, now we can admit, aside from traditional teaching, we are also now exposed to a lot of online courses with the so-called professors who we may or may not be very aware of their credibility as a teacher. Perhaps if it's like a very official one, official courses like Udemy or LinkedIn, you got to see their qualifications. But do you think like, let's say for platforms like YouTube, it's still just as valid as an educational platform for us? And just trying to elaborate more on this passive filtering, how, how do you think it's best to combine these two? 
That's a very good question. Yes, definitely with platforms like Udemy, Coursera, you know, all these kind of things, uh, it is legit where you know they actually have a filter before they they sell their courses online. Okay, even though the filter itself is actually not really really that good, honestly. Okay. <laughs> It's like you can actually put something on there that they think would sell, but they don't really look at your credentials. So uh, coming back to that, yeah, on YouTube itself, YouTube encompasses of a few things. Okay, number one is definitely entertainment. Okay, number two is promotion. Like people can promote uh, their businesses or uh, you know themselves or something like that. Okay, and then the third thing is like you can actually learn so much things from YouTube as well. Well, in terms of filtering what to watch and whatnot, it is actually a very very difficult. Difficult thing to teach someone to do, especially if it's like uh, right now during this pandemic. For me, I used to think YouTube as a entertainment, okay. Especially when I used to be watching a lot of like funny things over there and everything like that. But right now, because of this pandemic, I realize that I rely so much on YouTube to actually help me to teach things online, so that my students don't have to only watch me. Right. Okay, but coming back to the filter for students, it's very hard for us to draw the line and say to them, you know, the steps to filter and everything. That it's it's very difficult, honestly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So at one hand, we have a situation where true social media and technology can have a negative impact for us, but also at the other side of the coin, we know that there are some valid educational platforms that we can also benefit from. And then just to add another third element, we have this passive filtering where we need to extract just the most legitimate information that is useful for us, right? I'm just thinking, how should we like approach this? You know, is it perhaps a call for a new skill? Like I was just reading an article early last week, and I saw a report that by 2030 there will be at least 54 million jobs that will be replaced by, let's say, AI and the and the tech, right? And that's why mm -hmm. now they needed new sets of skills for you to stay relevant in the industry. And the number one skill that appeared was complex problem solving. And I was so curious mm -hmm. about this concept that I tried to search it online, even mm -hmm. across four or five different websites. Somehow, complex problem solving always comes at the top. So this draws the line between what you said about passive filtering and complex problem solving. I mean, all the information are out there, but it's how you can curate it according to your needs, right? So do you see this in your students right now? Do you think uh, we are already transitioning towards that or we actually, at least in Indonesia, are still laid back? I think depends on the institution, but I can see like right now the current minister of education. He's actually trying to get people to think actually not only outside the box, but it's like think as if there is no box, okay? But oh, uh, nice. because he has been educated um, outside of Indonesia since he was young, so he mm -hmm. could actually feel that way, think that way. But the people here in the 
country still think that he is just a dreamer, you know, trying to achieve something which is not even of this generation. Mm -hmm. But I think it is so essential and important for us to uh, start to teach students or kids at school critical thinking so that like what you were thinking, complex problem solving just now, it requires critical thinking, it requires people to think as if there is no box, you know. But unfortunately, the education system in the world, I'm not talking only about our country, Indonesia, but in the world as a whole, it is actually remote learning where you basically are learning how to tackle tests. Okay, mm -hmm. so you actually study to tackle tests, how to ace a test, okay, instead of solve a problem. Because mm -hmm. I remembered when I was young, I used to be a nerd, okay, I love to do <laughs> math. And then, right. <laughs> and then I love to actually, you know, study and whatnot. But the thing is that every time after a test, when I go out of the, say, for example, during the recess, we call it, my friends uh, used to actually compare answers and say, hey, what is answer number four, for number five, number six, number seven, right. something like that, right? <laughs> they would compare answers. Guess what I tell them? After a test, please do not ask me anything about the test anymore because I poured, you know, I said I puked everything on the test paper and I forget <laughs> it. Because like, you know, I basically return everything, all the knowledge, I return it to the teacher. So I was the kind of person that really uh, studied for the sake of acing a test. Yeah, okay. I felt that way. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, until today, the education system is still like that though. <laughs> right it's not about the student understanding the concept itself but it's just brute memorization is that what you're saying definitely definitely because if you look at the uh, national exams right now in indonesia they actually have all the national exams there's no essay anymore so basically even in the language course Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bahasa Indonesia. Mm -hmm. They actually have, uh, you know, multiple choice mm -hmm. for everything, even math. Okay, there's no more problem solving. You know, there's no more like open-ended question. It's all closed-ended question. Right. That's sad. Well, <laughs> th this question actually just occurred to me. It brings forth the classic question, right? Do we actually still need school then? Will it perhaps be better if we can just cherry pick from internet? You know, whatever I want to study. If what you're saying that close-ended questions might be obstructive to critical thinking, then maybe if we can do whatever we want with our own learning, will that benefit us? Yes and no. Okay, for example, right? Right now I'm teaching science for grade 7 and 8, okay? So after teaching grade 8 for uh, how many months right now? We started in June, right? June and right now is November, right? Yeah. So uh, they are learning about Earth and something about earth or something like that. So currently, this chapter that we are learning is all about different types of stones, okay? Different types of stones, different type of soil, different types of, you know, all those things, right? Yep. And that it has gone into such a lengthy chapter that I actually asked my uh, student, are you ever going to be a geologist or are you going to be, you know, going into this kind of field or anything like that? If not, can we just skip this? Because yeah. it's like so lengthy and it's so detailed that I don't think they need to know. 
Of course, yeah. I don't even remember any yeah. of those anymore. <laughs> I know it's very energy consuming for them to try to memorize all those very difficult chemical names, right? Yeah. Just to be tackling a test, and at the end of the day, they will never ever use it in their life. Yeah. If I think back, if I have choices, I would definitely not pick, you know, those geology classes or science. Maybe because I, for one, do not have an interest towards those subjects. So I think those subjects will be massively important for people who want to become scientists. But at the same time, I also remember when I was young, I told my mom that I hated social studies because I already know back then that I would never use that for my profession. But only like three or four years ago that I realized social studies—they're actually useful when you talk to people that matters. Like when you want to engage with mm-hmm. business partners. Then you kind of mm-hmm. want to engage in a communication basis, right? And then you want to be able to know those stuff. Like, just to have a very exaggerated example, when you talk to someone and then you you let them know that you do not actually know that the world is round, you, <laughs> like, you look like an idiot, right? And that could have an impact to your business partnership in 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 some way. So, I'm just thinking maybe in a sense as a as a younglings, you know, as a, a teenager, we do not have this kind of epitome yet, you know. We just need to be spoon-fed with all this education. In a sense, there's a degree where you would need to customize this education, but there's just some basic subjects that you cannot avoid. <laughs> That, sure. That's just yeah, my line of sure. thought, actually. Yeah, it is. So I do believe like the foundations of all the education itself is so important, especially you know on the uh, few fields. Okay, number one is the language. Number two is math. Okay, mm-hmm. number three is science. To a certain extent, you have to be equipped in that. You have to understand that. Mm-hmm. And then number four, social studies as well. As much as I hated it, I used to fail my history all the way. Okay, oh. but I remembered. <laughs> I think like talking to exactly like what you said, not knowing. A A lot of the historical facts uh, really made me feel stupid. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, because I hated history. I didn't like it, and I thought that well, I was more of a science person. So it's like right. I love chemistry, I love math, and I uh, even though I failed my physics, but I love chemistry and math, right? Mm-hmm. And biology, I like it too. But you know, I hated history from the first day. Okay, so I thought that why learn about dead people? Okay, kind of thing. But again, like I said, I regretted that later on. Because I felt like kind of dumb, not knowing a lot of things in the past. Okay, so okay, coming back to your question just now, whether or not the education is like right now relevant and whatnot, and and what should actually uh, the kind of changes that they they should be making. I think I appreciate the fact when my kids get to study in Canada, even starting grade nine. Okay, grade nine is considered as high school already. So starting grade nine, they could actually choose the Things that they want to study uh, mm-hmm. to equip themselves with whatever that they are planning to do in the future. Even though any great niners would actually, you know, say that I don't know what I want to do, I don't know what I I like or like, you know, I will be pursuing in my life later on. But at least, you know, with the choices that are given to them, there's a lot. You know, there's academic ones, but there are also uh, a lot of courses which is like skill courses, vocational courses that they could try out and then they could actually find their niche from there. 
Okay. So I remembered when you were uh, in high school as well. You yeah. also were given that choice where you can actually pick the courses starting grade nine. But it's uh, unfortunately because it's in Asia, uh, we don't have that much vocational courses for you mm-hmm. to choose from. You only have all the academic one. But when I was in secondary school, I had some vocational courses as well. Like for example, home economics. Mm-hmm. We had technical. I didn't take home math because I thought it was too girly. Mm-hmm. I went to take technical, which I ended up not knowing anything. Like I don't even know how to use the saw right now. <laughs> I used to, you know, do metal work and woodwork, but I don't remember any of those anymore <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. So since we have already just now discussed about complex problem solving, as an educational mm-hmm. consultant, can you think of something that that can instill this into this, let's say, new era? education that's a very good question so the thing is that about eight i would say eight or ten years ago okay mm-hmm. i actually had an idea of wanting to open up like you know a vocational institute uh, over here in indonesia because i remembered when i was studying in singapore there is something called a polytechnic after sec four mm-hmm. where you can choose to go to a jc which is called a junior college which i did But some people actually uh, can choose to go to polytechnic. Some people to go to pre-U. Okay, but some of my friends who went to polytechnic, I realized that you know they actually learn a lot of things, which is hands-on, which actually allowed them to be able to work right after three years of polytechnic. Once they graduated, like some of my friends who actually graduated from JC, even though it's more prestigious, and then people that graduated from polytechnic were at role in polytechnic is supposedly people that cannot enter a JC okay so um, it's like in terms of academic wise maybe they're not as smart as people that go to JC but in actual fact after they're trained in polytechnic a lot of them actually can find a job after that Right. Like they can work, and then because whatever that they are learning is hands-on, and so when I went to Canada, same thing happened. When I realized that okay, a lot of people would actually enroll themselves in a university just because it's more prestigious. But there is actually technical schools, and where I live, actually there is something called BCIT, okay, British mm-hmm. Columbia Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. and it is actually really prestigious if you actually get a diploma from there instead of just a degree, because people would hire a graduate from BCIT much more than somebody who has a degree because whatever that you're learning from the those uh, technological institute or you know vocational institute is all hands-on mm. yeah so in terms of education what would I change it's interesting that you brought up the subject just now about you know whether or not A lot of jobs would be would be replaced by AI or robotics. Okay, in the future, yes, it will be. But there are certain jobs still need a human touch and also human to actually operate that still. And what are those jobs? Those are probably one of the things that we could discuss later on in terms of uh, you know in relation to education. But I do believe every student right now in we will say Gen Alpha Generation mm-hmm. Alpha. They have to have a skill. Skill-based learning is so important. Okay, can you explain a little bit more on the jobs that you were mentioning just now? When you said there will definitely be existing jobs that will continue to remain relevant, or new jobs that would become 
something that we need to start learning. Can you talk about it more? Actually, I did some research on that as well, mm-hmm. which opens up my mind a lot,、uh, especially as a teacher. It says like a lot of the future jobs that is going to be popular would be jobs that is not even it's it's non-existent as of now.、Mm. Can you imagine that? <laughs> wow, that is actually like a slap on my face. Okay,、mm. because why? Because right now, as a teacher, we are still hoping、uh, to put. Our students to universities or like to the best schools, so that they could actually graduate from there. And what's the point of them graduating? So that it could actually equip them, so that they could be able to find a job, isn't it?、Yeah. But if the research is saying that、uh, some of the jobs are non-existent right now,、mm-hmm. which is actually going to be big in the future, then how are they going to learn? Okay, then I guess、yeah. if that's the case, maybe we don't need to put our kids into you know very expensive, prestigious universities. We should just let them work and get hands-on experience. Maybe that's best. Well, the thing is that as much as we would hope that would be the best for our kids, I think like children nowadays are well, I wouldn't say they're more spoiled, but you know, they are more reserved. Okay? okay, and not only that, they are a lot. They they are very protected because how many families right now have more than. Four or five children. A lot of families right now, they have like only two children at the most. Three, okay, four is considered as already quite a lot, right? So it's like because they have less children in the family, obviously all the kids become very protected, and also they get the best out of what they could, okay? Because well, as a parent, I know that I work for my kids. Whatever that. I work for is actually all for my kids. Okay,、mm-hmm. so it's like、uh, we want to give the best to them. Little that we know that in doing so, we are actually quote and unquote okay spoiling them,、mm-hmm. and then not only that, we are actually letting them have such a perfect or like good life、mm-hmm. that in turn would actually、uh, have them not have that kind of fighting spirit in them. As I see, you actually went to China when you were really young. Okay,、mm-hmm. when you were, were you even sixteen at that point of time? Fifteen and a half, sixteen. Yeah, 15, yeah 15, probably sixteen. Not even seventeen for sure. I know. Okay, you were <laughs> so young. Okay, and yet you had to go there. Okay, well, in your generation, sixteen going to a foreign country by yourself where you do not know the language is very adventurous. Do you、mm-hmm. know that I was put in Singapore when I was ten? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went there when I was ten, and my sister went with me, and she was eight. Okay, so pretty much we grew up without our parents, but we actually grew up with a guardian. Thank God I had a very good guardian who loved us very much. Okay,、mm-hmm. but at that point of time, there were a lot of us though. I wasn't the only one. Some of my friends actually went to Singapore when they were in grade one. So it's like back then. Come to think about it, right now, when my daughter was like sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she had to go to Canada to study. I gotta quit my job, okay? Sell my school just to be with her. <laughs> oh, just because I just wouldn't let her. I couldn't let her go by herself. Like it's like she's my baby, you know, kind of thing, right? So <laughs> it's right. like, yeah, it's so different. And my mom used to scold me and say, "Guess what? You actually went to Singapore when you were ten, and you were okay. Your sister was eight, and you were okay. Right now, your daughter is already sixteen, and you can't let go." 
Right. So you're saying that yeah. we need to start putting our younger generation more into a situation where they are challenged, as so they kind of naturally develop this idea of critical problem solving or complex problem solving. It is, but honestly, it is easier said than done, though. Theoretically, yes, but it is easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, so we said we were talking about the jobs, right? Can you name us a few that that you think would be would definitely come in the top five of the most sought for jobs in 2020 above? 2020 above or 2000 what? In the future, lah. In the future? Yeah. Okay, let me look at my notes. Okay, so according to my research, okay. 7.1 million jobs could be lost through redundancy, automation, or mm-hmm. disintermediation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Creation of 2.1 million new jobs, okay. mainly in highly specialized areas such as computing, math, architecture, and engineering. Okay, would actually be created or like needed. Okay. Okay. So skills and jobs displacement will affect every industry, and of course. Geographical region as well, depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be very, very, uh, you know, different. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically, what are the kinds of jobs that would be replaced? I guess it would be highly standardized tasks sure. that is easily automated. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's if it's automatable, then it is definitely going to be replaced. Yeah. If it's something repetitive. So, for example, jobs that are already impacted, unfortunately, include like, for example, pharmacists, cashiers, bank tellers, okay, mm-hmm. and then farmers, legal okay. assistants, housekeepers. You know what else? Yeah, yeah. So you're you're saying jobs that are quite straightforward will most likely be replaced. So that implies that jobs with more creativity will stay. What do you think these kind of creative jobs would be? Okay, for sure. I think like we were talking about YouTube just now, right? We were talking about a lot of online stuffs right now, right? Right. And then from all that, I think things which is related to entertainment, as like getting people to keep themselves be entertained and whatnot, mm-hmm. it's still going to be well. It's gonna be bigger than ever before. What yeah. about what about for tech? We were talking about robotics and AI. What do you mm-hmm. say about? The current popular jobs like data science, data engineer, and those stuffs. Yeah, for sure. I think like the ones that is going to be essential and even bigger is IT. All right. As well. And what about soft skills? I think we, we talked about this earlier. Do you think those that would also be an asset that we can uh, leverage in the future? This is something that I read, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. The future of jobs is that they have no future. <laughs> wow, very dystopian. I know, and it's very disturbing, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I realized that a job is different from creating value. So the word job is actually describing a relationship. Okay. Yeah, a relationship between someone who needs a service and someone who provides a service, isn't it? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, basically, under w- what kind of conditions will job be created? When there is a need, when there is a want, right? So right now, if we say in the future the need is there, okay, mm-hmm. but people 
you know, there has to be a balance between the need and the wants, right? If yeah. people want a job, but there is no need for people to hire somebody, because why? People can get tired. People can actually be emotional. People can actually call in sick. We robots won't do that, isn't it? Right. So you're saying that since job require at least two parties, first is the one who needs the service, and the other is the one providing the service. That is why it is important to have essential soft skills to mediate between these two parties. Yeah, but again, if you ask me, what are those? Okay, definitely, we talked about problem solving skill. We talk about analytical thinking. We talk about critical thinking. Those are some of the things that we could think of. But honestly, if you ask me to put it into ABCs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would tell you that I don't know. It's a question, or like it's something that we all need to learn along the way. Okay. And that is the scary part, isn't it? Because we are bringing up a generation towards something that the generation before don't even know. Okay. So, am I understanding this right? The most important skill in that sense is to be able to adapt. <laughs> For sure. Do you think we need this, like? Robots taking over, like we we are the one who invented them, but why are we now competing against them? I thought we were supposed to control them instead of the other way around. Okay, uh, we talked about AI, right? Just mm-hmm. now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, do you know that there are actually three stages of AI? Okay. So one is the artificial narrow intelligence, one is the artificial general intelligence, and one is the artificial super super intelligence, which is called the super AI. So it's like narrow, a weak AI, general and strong AI, and super AI. Mm-hmm. And right now, super AI is not invented yet. We are right now in the middle, where there is like you know general and strong AI. Okay, mm-hmm. but a lot of people. Are very happy, and they will actually clap their hands when you know the narrow AI were first invented. Because why? It makes our life easier, okay? okay? And we actually say, "Whoa, human beings are so smart; they could actually do this." Da 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 da. Okay, and then people are never content, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they actually started to invent more and go towards a more sophisticated invention and invent a general and strong AI, then some of the people realize, oh no, this is going to actually jeopardize a lot of the people who has jobs. But again, people, like I said, are never content. So the people that are already conquering this thing here, they want to do more. Because why? Because they always think that, okay, if I can actually do this, I can actually do more. And the thing is that, The super AI is the most dangerous one, where, like I said just now, it could actually be something that human beings cannot contain, because it's just like, well, if we would say about right now the pandemic, a lot of people say, okay, this is controversial. People say that this disease is actually man-made; it's not okay. natural. Okay? okay, that's why when it's mutating right now. Mm-hmm. It's like to a certain extent that human can't even comprehend how that happened. Okay. Because they don't know how it was invented in the first place. Why it was invented in the first place? It could be for biohacking or like it could be for anything at all. But right now, people cannot contain it and people cannot control it anymore. It's mutating so fast. 
Wow. Okay. And so I think like super AI is going to be like that. I'm just just giving you an example right now about the COVID-19. COVID-19 has been around for a long time. Like I mean, the the word COVID-19, if you actually search for it, you know, the disease itself has been around for like a decade probably but right now the mutation that we are experiencing right now is totally different from the covid-19 that is like 10 years ago okay right now it's unbearable anymore people can't even comprehend how to actually stop that anymore so i think super ai is going to be like that it might dominate humanity because it exhibit intelligence with super computing power and it's pretty scary so what should we do <laughs> Well, I don't really have uh, an answer for that, but I do believe like if we are able to regulate AI well, we can see a society where all non-creative tasks performed by machines or something like that and give humans more time to actually be more creative and to educate themselves to eradicate, you know, all those kind of problems that is upcoming. Mm. So AI can also be used to explore ourselves by eliminating the mundane task and then for us to just dig on what we can create, right? What we can innovate and bring it back to the people. How we can upgrade somebody else's quality of life, for example. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So actually today we've been covering very wide areas of discussions. <laughs> we started with a... I hope we are not stupid habit. <laughs> Are we shooting rabbits? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think actually this brings into one whole circle. We started talking about how technology has invaded our life and then we wanted to also look at a perspective of how it has impacted education and in that sense, what can we do to learn to benefit from technology so that so that it does not only bring negative impacts because it's nonsense for us to demonize technology because doing that means we are neglecting the massive massive advancement it has brought upon our life and it's undeniable mm-hmm. that it, it has improved right our quality of life so now it's more about what we can leverage instead with this equipment or or this piece of tool that we now have on our hands and then we also kind of transition that into into the jobs economy what after you know after you learn this how can you apply it and try to pick the best industry that you can practice uh, what you have learned and we touch on the fact that okay maybe clerical task would be eradicated soon no we have to start trying to yeah. be creative create and innovate so i think that's that's a complete circle right there <laughs> Great that you can actually make such a good summary out of everything that we have t- been talking about. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, when I come back to the question that is uh, an answer just now, like you know, uh, what do you think we should we should do to help the younger generation to prepare them, you know, for the future? Honestly, like I said, it's still a question mark for me, and it is actually something that I'm still exploring, thinking, and seeking for wisdom. dim each and every day because like you know probably not a lot of people are concerned about that as much as a teacher because like I am in the educational field so I am actually I have responsibilities over my students future at hand right so so it's like well that is really something that I am looking into every day yeah. honestly yeah I love yeah. it actually because technology in my opinion creates a fair playing ground 
everybody starts the same with technology it just technically appeared 10 or 15 years ago or yep yeah, i mean the more advanced kind of usage of technology so if somebody can make it why can't you if somebody can create a youtube channel with 1 million subscriber why can you not so i mean everybody starts all the same so the difference lies within you so it's like what you said it's how you develop yourself how you can adapt to what's changing to your surroundings i guess that's the biggest takeaway that i can get from this episode yeah each and every time when we do a podcast like this we should actually bring about hope but i think this episode is actually a thought intriguing you know for people to actually really think and do their due diligence in whatever things that they should do because mm-hmm. like like i said even talking about that who knows about the future no none of us actually knows about what's going to happen in the future right yeah, so yeah. uh specifically in this area i think that it actually should remind us that we should be more aware of what is happening out there and really we shouldn't be educating our kids according to how we were educated before because things had changed so much yeah yeah i agree it will always come back to one of my favorite quotes which is keep trying learn to know what you dislike before getting closer to what you like <laughs> that's always been yeah, my, one of my bibles Okay, and one of the thing that you said when we actually had a talk a couple of uh, weeks ago, you said that we have to always remember to learn, unlearn, and relearn. Wow, that is so powerful. Yeah, and I think that so true. That yeah. is so very true. It's context, context that matters. We need to contextualize ourselves in a world where it's so different. So we have to stay uniform, but at the same time, find what's niche. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to explain that a little bit uh, so that your listeners can know about those three things that you talked about? Because that is, I think, ultimately the thing that we should equip our kids with. Oh. Well, learn, relearn, and unlearn. Sorry, learn, unlearn, and relearn is basically with the abundant information out there. You're nitpicking things that is just for you. So you learn it, but of course, when you learn, you know that there are some of those remainings or excess that you don't need, and you know that because everyone is has different needs, and then you just try to deconstruct that. You you try to open it up and see. Okay, this might be beneficial for my career. Okay, this might be beneficial for me, and then you apply it to the things that you are doing, which is basically you relearn it, how you can use it to the best that is just for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. So I think I want to add to that. Yeah, on the human side, right? People have to be trained for tasks that machines or computers cannot perform. So this means that prioritizing in things uh, with creativity, but that's not only the solution as well. You got to upscale yourself, upskilling and reskilling yourself in critically for you know problem solving, critical thinking, you know mm-hmm. all these kind of things, which is going to be the ones that is so essential for them in the future. 
yeah, I guess that mm-hmm. we should wrap up our conversation today, Miss. Yet another okay episode, I would say. Yeah, like for the <laughs> listeners, this episode wasn't meant for you to be like, okay, you have a problem, you have a question, and then we give you the answers. But we kind of try to pick each other's brain and bring forth some questions that you might want to consider. You might want to think and start counter engineering yourself towards the answers. And nobody knows the answers, but as long as you stay on that track, then eventually, I guess the tunnel will give you off some light, right? Yes. Do you want to yes. add some final remark to this, Miss? I think my final thing to ask the listeners is, what do you think? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very simple but powerful question. Okay. So that will be it. Again, thank you very much, Miss Jing, for coming for the second time. You shared knowledge. Yeah, thank you. So for the listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a good day. Have a good weekend and an even better one ahead. So bye, Miss Jing. Until next time. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Take care.